Hello, welcome to the Week in Review. There's no Sam this week, so it's myself, Mario, with Luke. How are you doing, Luke? I'm, I'm doing very well. How are you this evening? Um, well, thanks. We are not doing the weather report anymore, are we? That's been consigned to the dustbin of history. Yeah, now we're in the winter months. It, it's a bit bleak outside and the weather's too tragic to talk about, particularly these last two days. Well, in that case, I suppose we should move to the first item of business, which is Operation Bring Back Big Dog. Mm. So yeah. Boris Johnson hasn't officially announced yet, although um, judging by some of the noise on Twitter, he may, before we've concluded this recording, and will have by the time people are hearing it. Um, Guido Fawkes is reporting that he has over 60 MPs backing him, although not all of those have been confirmed and are in the public domain. The official number is significantly lower. But it appears, though, and cabinet ministers have reportedly said he will breach the 100 or is likely to breach the 100 MP threshold. Therefore, he will get on the ballot and therefore he will win. Now, whether all those things take place is yet to be seen. But before we get into the practicability of it all, what do you make of the situation? Um, well, I, I uh, recently wrote one of our monthly covers that referred to um, the previous leadership election as a circus, given how um, frequent and at the same time inconsequential these things may be. Now, we've just had our, uh, we just had Liz Trust last a mere 44 days, brought down largely by, um, uh, what, what would we say, just a tumbling market and just there's no way in hell that she would get us out of a recession that we're currently in. And I think that will, I, I know for certain in the future, that will largely remain the same. We will have an equally, uh, even if it's Boris, an equally ineffective prime minister who is at the um, the mercy of foreign affairs, as well as just the uh, the seeming inability of the British state or unwillingness of the British state to even commit to things like, you know, controlled immigration or re-industrialising the North. Same old, same old, whoever's at the helm. Aren't you even slightly entertained by the prospect of the return of Boris? Well, uh, given how we, um, the most libertarian prime minister shut us all in our homes for nigh on two years, I I'm not that thrilled with the prospect. But Boris, I th if it's going to be anyone, I say it has to be Boris because politics, certainly you know, circus-based democratic politics, is based on charisma and it is based on muscle and boris lest we forget did win a landslide and should he be re-elected as prime minister he would still have that mandate which would you know shut Keir Starmer up about a, another general election in the near future i must admit i'm really rooting for him to make the comeback even though i agreed with um the rest of the same world at large that he had no choice but to leave in the end mm -hmm. and that the some total of his premiership as measured in accomplishments um was a sort of a lowly a lowly number of accomplishments he is the best of a bad bunch as far as yeah. i can tell um perhaps other than penny morden and i'm talking in terms of being a competent presenter mm. being having a, a reasonable level of aptitude and in terms of electability, um, wh whereas um, Rishi Sunak, uh, although he's 
proved himself competent in in terms of financial affairs and all the rest of it he's not going to win an election and his financial finesse won't be of much use because of the situation you just described in relation to Liz Truss and the mess that transpired as a result of her mini budget because one of the problems is that that budget has driven up the cost of borrowing mm. which gives us less leeway to borrow to invest which was the whole Johnson project essentially. Yeah. The, uh, the Bank of England recently had to well, I don't know the exact financial specifics on this, but essentially bail out the uh, the economy as a uh, debts to GDP ratio is um, nearing 100 percent or something along those lines. It's not a good situation. I but, thought our debt was in excess of 100 percent of GDP now. It, it, it may have been for a short, short, short time. If that again, I don't know the specifics, but it, it's it's in roughly that ballpark. And let's trust what, as I say, what finally brought her down was not just the market's tumbling it was a, a threat of complete collapse so if, if the pound falls below the us dollar that's it that's curtains well it's not just the pound and before before i stray into this i'm sure i will you know somebody will pick me up or think that i'm not quite got the details right which is probably the case but my understanding of it is that uk pension funds which are worth about three trillion apparently um, hold a large number of gilts um, of long-term government debt and there was a there's something there, there's a practice called LDI where the relationship between the, the yield on a gilt and its purchase price is inversed so once a sell-off begins and and the LDI stipulates that funds have to have their assets uh, match their available liquid. So once a, a sell-off starts, it begins a doom loop. And if not for the Bank of England stepping in to buy those long-term gilts, or to at least offer up the money to do so, and therefore um, shore up confidence, many, many senior people have said big pension funds would have just blown up. You know, they would, they mm. would, have, they would be gone. So that's how... Um, that's how close she took us to to the economic brink, um, and that's why we're going to be railroaded into austerity from now on. But even within that, it's going to be interesting where where you can make a choice, what choices are made. Yes, but I say whoever is the next prime minister, however charismatic they may be, if it's Boris, I mean. I, they're going to have to win the MPs and the membership, and that with Boris. Rishi Sunak does not control the room. He, he, he may as well be a cardboard cutout. So if this uh, the mythical big dog figure is back, again, he will still be at the whims of the left, of the the waste that's, that exists, that Liz Truss says. Uh, uh, Liz Truss, I think, what, what she has done is just completely destroy Boris's majority with, with, the, with the voter base. Because all these, because um, Boris was elected on the reverse of Thatcherism, it was get Brexit done, control borders, control trade, let's let's manage our own affairs. But I think you said this on um, uh, the Week in Review a couple of weeks ago when the the, the, uh, the so-called mini budget was released. All the the Tory cares about in their you know liberal urbanite utopia is just gambling with fake fiat money. 
and and that's it, that's exactly what uh, the, the Tories have become. And I, I can't really see that situation being reversed because although there may be some in the Tory Party who who are anti that, yeah, they well, will have to be. They will have to be move. They will have to be moving with the crowd. The the mini budget was a mask off moment for the Tory Party where they revealed mm. their deepest darkest yes desires um, to the horror of all of us onlookers. Mm. Um, now, as you say, um, the course has been set and there isn't much deviation that can now be had because of the increased cost of borrowing, because of the jittery markets, because of the wider economic downturn, because of the, you know, what, what little money we have available is being spent subsidising consumer and business energy prices and all the rest of it. So we're heading for turbulent times, and as we were as we were saying the other day, the the days of buying um, trolley loads of Chinese tap from Toys R Us mm. and on on your credit card, and then going to blockbusters and taking out fifty videos, um, those days are over, no matter who comes into power. But there are there are things. Um, so Liz Truss according to Swella Braverman or some briefings or whatever, wanted effectively open borders with India in return for a, for a trade deal. Now, but Boris would never would never do that. Strike me down if I'm wrong, but Boris is never agreeing to have open borders with India for a trade deal. You pretty much tell the British Indian would never, ever consider that. Why a nation of a, a billion people would um, uh, arrive up. Yeah, just think, billion people. With the, I mean, it was already 500 million with the European Union, but yes, a billion people, largely low skilled, again, some high skilled immigrants, of course, is a good big STEM nation. Uh, the only way the Tories can even rationalise that is because with the mask off moment, they want the, the cheap foreign labour just invading this nation to, to push down the prices. I don't know, nannies, baristas. That's what that's what the Tories care about. And also to push growth. Oh, yes. Green line must go up, of course. There is to be no alternative. I mean, this is essentially why it's more accurate to call the Tory party, at least two thirds of it, a Liberal party. Because if you consider a human being as an economic unit, which is what from a particular perspective they are, then the more economic units, the more economic activity and the more economic activity, the more growth, even though um, you get diminishing returns in relation to productivity. So this the, uh, mass migration dim diminishes productivity, but there's the, the sort of two um, interfacing, um, what would you call it, things in play that, you know, productivity goes down, mm -hmm. but the mass of labor forces the growth up. Um, and then and then you, you get into an, a different kind of doom loop where you don't train your own workers and so on and so forth. Well, it's the thing. One of the arguments Douglas Murray makes, where um, he says, where a common argument is, oh, we need immigration to uh, plug the gap of our plunging birth rates. Now, rather the solution being, of course, um, incentivize you know the birth rate through I, I don't know ch child care, better schools, better infrastructure, more home ownership. No, it's uh, let, let's go straight to the foreigners, who uh, will uh, inevitably get hold themselves. And after paying it into the pension for so many years, they will then take out of it. And OK, so we need more and more of this labour force. Is that really something that Douglas Murray said? Yeah, this was in his very base Strange Death of Europe days. 
I thought The Strange Death of Europe was about the challenges posed by immigration. Not that I've ever read it. The Strange Death of, of Europe is, uh, well, begins with the line, Europe is in the midst of committing suicide, and that's basically all the compound effects of a mass immigration relating to uh, social cohesion and, uh, of course, economics. Oh, I've, misunderstood, course, I've misunderstood you. You meant he was describing the phenomenon, not recommending it. Yeah, he was describing it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I. I, I don't. Know. I don't. I don't know what the Douglas Murray of now would think, but yeah. Yeah. That's definitely the premise. I thought you were saying he was prescribing that as a solution to falling birth rates, but you're quite right. The the, the proper solution is, you know, maternity pay, maternity leave, tax breaks, uh, like they do in Hungary for, uh, I believe, women who have four or more children are exempt from income tax for life in Hungary. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I wrote about this recently. Yes, it's a material incentive and, you know, but it, it sends a particular signal about what your priorities are, about where you're heading, about what you want as a nation. Mm. Um, and it, it raises a banner that indicates that you haven't totally given up, that, that you aren't just going to be a sort of amorphous cosmopolitan district mm -hmm. of um, a global world in which people come and go as they please um, without retaining any kind of loyalty or long-term interest in the country at large. And that's the, um, that's why nations collapse. It's a very dangerous thing where um, either the descendants of or the newcomers have have no attachment to the, the soul of this nation. They view it as the Tories do, as an economic unit, something to extract resources from and um, pleasure your deepest, darkest desires. That's why um, supposedly our under a conservative government, oligarchs from Saudi Arabia and Russia can have, well, not anymore, but could buy mansions in London and just leave them empty for the purposes of money laundering. Quite. And one of the problems is, is that there's no alternative. I saw somebody from the left of the Labour Party, and by the way, the entire Labour Party is the left of the Labour Party, it's just that Keir Starmer is, is like the like Boris Johnson in a sense, smart enough to wear a mask, although his isn't his slips off, uh, and, it, and it's totally superficial, whereas Boris's mask... Keir, actually... Keir Starmer, I can see, is just hold, holding a tightrope. Of course, he has to appeal to his ultra-liberal base through taking the knee and whatnot. But he also, of course, realises that Labour is not winning with this rabble in charge, hence the Corbyn smashing. But, but his, you know, outside of Israel and NATO and things like that, his, his policy prospectus is... Is essentially the same thing, although now, given the economic circumstances, will will be constrained. But but aside from NATO and Israel, I mean, they agree on everything. So you had Zara Sultana or somebody tweeting out a celebration that Swella Braveman was sacked, saying, "Terrific! We'll never see a deportation. What a wonderful victory!" You know, this is the same view as Steve Baker. You know, the free market left. Yeah. So th there's interesting areas of divergence and coming together. Um, I lost the the wider thread which I was arriving at, um, but uh, but but what I was going to say is, I think that we that it would be prudent to be on the left of the Labour Party in relation to maternity pay and things like that. Not only because it's popular, because it serves a good purpose. 
I think Keir Starmer, although his head's in somewhat of a noose, has realised that um, if, if he just appeals to the, the salt of the earth working person in conjunction with what the Tories are up to, they would win very, very comfortably. If their manifesto took away all, all the things that are usual, you know, hot and but hot button topics for a Daily Mail column, i.e., you know, same sex bathrooms, and just hammered on about you know maternity leave, like real classical liberal stuff, bit of reindustrialization here, they would they would swamp it. Well, they would, uh, but somebody, I think it might have been Matt Goodwin, uh, quote tweeted Starmer's appearance at um, might not have been Matt Goodwin, so don't take that as gospel. <coughs> Excuse me. Quote tweeted Starmer's appearance at a Pink News Awards event, mm. and Starmer pledged. Did you see this? Starmer pledged that he was going to introduce yeah. harsher hate speech laws for people who yeah, say things about. Yeah. Um, uh, um, my phone's decided to start. Um, what I was talking to it has decided to um, introduce stricter hate speech laws on people who criticise transgenders or or gays or whatever. And the quote tweet was something to the effect of whether it was by Goodwin or somebody else. In the moment of euphoria, the mask slips, mm. which is true because now they they think they can't lose. There, there there is this temptation to to go sort of full fat, if you like. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what will happen to uh, sort of the Labour Party rolling into to another general election. They they can either win it not comfortably, but win it, probably the hung parliament, or, or completely botch it. Now, I'm more of the opinion, however terrible the Tories are, they're going to botch it, because the Tories can always play a very good electoral game. And all they'll need to do is just highlight Keir Starmer writing for Pink News or endorsing all these insane identity politics. And as humans are not economic units, and in the, in the postmodern world, they do largely vote by cultural lines, I, I think the, the Tories will probably, come to think of it, arrive back in power for another term, I, whether maybe leading the helm. I, I think there's different orders of magnitude. There's an order of magnitude between economic and cultural issues, and there are orders of magnitude within the cultural space. So, for example, I think, you know, there's this talk of luxury beliefs. In the good times, the things that, Keir Starmer is saying about biological realities would be considered loony left, insano, completely stuff, uh, um, um, completely com uh, whatever, duff. Um, but w when you get to the good times and people sort of have nothing to complain about, you know, the, that comes to the fore and the, and the social cultural war then gets fought over whether a bathroom has a particular label on the front of it. When you get into a position where we're um, in a war in Europe, effectively, which we are, uh, when the economic situation is getting dire, they can continue to harbour those ideas but it's difficult to get people excited to oppose them, um, mm. excited in the literal sense. Um, so economic issues are going to take precedent. That we've already agreed there's going to be a, the sort of most, what's known Chomsky's term, where they have the most vocal battle about the smallest issues. Yeah. That's going to be the economic framework. But, but then inside of that, the thing that's going to tip the balance is immigration. That's going to be the policy that's, you know, 
screw the markets we can do what what we like within particular restrictions that we've just discussed before on this podcast mm. so if the tories get the you know if if planes are coming on and off the Heathrow tarmac taking refugee illegal immigrants back to Rwanda then that will be a huge boon to their electoral prospects. Yes, certainly. And uh, that was the, uh, the large part about the um, the, the Rwanda, the, the, well, the failed Rwanda plan. Uh, I, I know Boris, um, though he was, of course, trying to get a vote winner there. And that appeased a large part of the, t uh, of the British base, of course. But uh, as I say, it, it was also a, a clear electoral strategy. But I, I don't, well, I say we can't. It's the problem of looking into the future. We can't. We're not going to see how the next Tory Prime Minister will wade their way through the, the worst economic recession this century, which is which actually is saying something. But what I'm also intrigued to see, and I doubt this will come to fruition because democracy does not allow it, is the capacity for long-term thinking. Okay, this winter is screwed. Probably getting blackouts, whether we like it or not. But what we could do is we could try and start up the fracking in, which is underway. We could try and drill into the North Sea. No, we're not going to set up these oil rigs overnight, but within two or three years, we, we should have our hand in the game and be reliably producing our own electricity for once. But as I say, I, I just don't think this, this long-term thinking is with the Tory party. So they're the party of, of continuity and now Britain's managed to climb. They will just look to the next 18 months. What can we do? Which in a time of a great crisis will probably involve more, more of the list trust game, maybe more borrowing. Well, because... that? Go on, sorry. Well, because, as I say, um, austerity between now and 2024 is not going to be a vote winner. No, it will be, it will be dressed up in various different colours. It won't be, um, it won't be presented as austerity. The, um, I mean, even Jeremy Hunt, when he was um, refusing to rule out abandoning the triple lock, was calling himself a compassionate conservative every sentence. Mm. Um, you know, we're, we're doing what's good for you. Uh, but um, the thing, what were you just saying before about, about trust? Uh, about how... Um... Well, how the Tories have now dug themselves into this hole and have to keep digging because there's no other choice. Trusts to pay for sort of this deficit through the tax cuts had to borrow, which we discussed with, with the gilts. Yeah. Now that the next prime minister will likely have to go for, for the handouts. It, it, it will be a, a sort of a form of austerity, but heavily targeted, so to speak. Shall we address so, the... so much resources to go around? Shall we address the practicability of the return of Big Dog? Because 12 MPs have reportedly said they'll resign. They'll resign the Conservative whip if he becomes a leader. Um, and it strikes me that Boris could... Um, there's the, at least the outside chance that Boris could return to his 2019 self and sort of ride the train to the terminus and mm. say, resign. I don't need you. We don't need you. You're not conservative. Even if, um, you know, he's got a, a majority of 
70 now, even if 30 of them resign, he could say, fine, resign, we'll replace you at the election. Yeah. Um, we're going in a different direction. You know, you're either with us or you're not. Um, is that plausible? Oh, yeah, but Boris certainly has that sort of, has that power in him. He, he can say, okay, it, it's my way or the highway. He, he does have that spine in him. And um, I think all the uh, Tories who will oppose him, they won't be in any major positions of power. There'll be some MP from rural Norfolk saying, you know what, I'm not up for this. And Boris will go, OK, they won't remember your name. I think, it's And that's people, how he can control the room. You know, one of the people I saw, I think, who was making kicking up a big fuss was Crispin Blunt. Um, Crispin Blunt, I first came to my attention because... Do you remember the Conservative MP for Wakefield? Yeah, one who defected to Labour. No, 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 that was that um, something north. Uh, it'll come back to me in a bit. No, it was Conservative MP for Wakefield who was convicted of sexually assaulting a minor, I believe. Mm. Allegedly, but he was convicted. But allegedly, I can't remember if it was a minor or not, so I don't want to get that wrong and then get sued by the guy who's currently in prison. Um, so fucking... Anyway... Uh, so he tweeted out that it was a miscarriage of justice and a homophobic um, something or other, you know, and that the, the, uh, the judge was homophobic, this was a miscarriage of justice, and he, he got widely slammed for this and had to issue an apology, but even then it was only a half apology, so I, I googled this guy, Crispin Blunt, who the hell is it? I looked at his Wikipedia page, and one of the more fascinating entries on his Wikipedia page said, um, as part of a debate in Parliament, he stood up and talked about how he, he uses poppers, the drug, as a gay man and why he thinks they should be legal or decriminalised or whatever it was. Um, and he'd, he'd left his wife to go and do poppers and engage in all these sorts of activities. Uh, and these are the kind of people who, who are, if not Crispin himself, then it's those type of people who are threatening to leave the Tory party to which you can only say please do please yeah. I mean the Boris Boris's last month were rocked by I think three sort of sex pest scandals in a row there was the MP in the southwest court you know looking at pictures of tractors in the house of commons to uh, yes. put it in his words uh I don't know I forgot what the other ones are but they did happen source trust me bro and uh, but, Roberts remember him Remind me. He crashed his car wearing a mini skirt and heels and then and then did a Kevin Spacey. But instead of coming out as gay, he came out as transgender. He was he was really oh, yes. yeah, prime in, in high heels and a mini skirt, didn't he? Yeah, uh, uh, and the Tories sort of held him up as a golden calf, if I remember. Oh, we have the first trans MP. Look how transphobic our red our red ribbon foes are. Yes. Um you know, well, it's, Boris it's, himself bragged about having most gay MPs as ever been yeah, of any it's, government. It's quite funny. They say, "Well, this is the most diverse government of all time." Immediately collapses. Uh, we've <laughs> oh, had, yeah, like, no white men for forty-four days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most uh, female. You know, we've had the most female leaders. They're all awful. Uh, <laughs> we've got the first transgender MP who crushes his car and flees as he relaxed it. 
we've got the most gay MPs. They're disproportionately caught up in various sexual scandals. I mean, you, you, I wrote an article maybe in January or perhaps last year, I can't remember, and it was, you know, how I learned to stop worrying and love the con, conservative government, which at least I thought was funny. Maybe others won't. But at, at the end of the day, you have to accept that that's where the zeitgeist is. You know, even if Nigel Farage became the prime minister, he would be forced to brag about uh, having a diverse whatever yeah. or something. Because because that, that's the status game in the Western world now. It's um, how many, you know, non-white Northern European men you could stick in this position of authority. Yeah, the, the more the better, the less... The less, as I say, that they don't care about competence or substance. That's why uh, all that matters is just the, the raw numbers of how many there are, not if they're any good or not. Hence, why you know the the military is, or the fire brigade has to downgrade its height requirements because women, surprisingly enough, are not as tall as the average bloke. Yeah, I, uh, I remember reading something a while ago on the fire brigade thing. I don't think I don't know about fire brigade standards, but it's interesting because this links into the news that people may have seen by now, because it's a few days old, that RAF pilots are training the oh, Chinese... Yes. Is it the Chinese People's Army or the People's Army of China or whatever it is? Uh, Chinese... Liberation uh, Army. The Chinese Liberation Army, whatever yes. Is, I don't know. So, yeah, they've uh, been sacked from the, the British military for uh, the colour of their skin. You know, Martin Luther King would be proud. And so they... They've got all this expertise, got all this knowledge behind them, you know, world-beating knowledge of how to build weapons of destruction. So let's, let's just talk to China, who are probably paying them 25 times as much as what they would earn on the highest salary here. Yeah, I read they're being paid um, hundreds of thousands. So I can't remember the exact figure. Yeah. Being uh, did you see when uh, China tried to build its own Premier League by paying substandard players about half a million a week? Yeah. I'm sure they have a lot more funds for their uh, military arsenal. And I'm sure, they're, I'm sure they're recruiting the best minds on the globe to do it. I do wonder what the Chinese defence budget is vis-a-vis -vis ours. Um, well, China China has a defence budget, for one. You know what? I, I'm not... Can you, can you talk for a moment while I Google this? Um, so... Um, yeah, uh, let me. So um, I'll explain why uh, China has a, um, I mean, 10 times zero is still zero, but China has a budget that vastly outstrips our own. We don't know the exact figures yet, but I'm just sure. China is a nation that actually cares about its survival and its future. Yes, it is facing its own problems, notably population collapse, that, that one-child policy and 996 working culture has completely bitten them up the backside. But... I will not fault the the Chinese Communist Party for actually caring about its nation. One of the reasons why it does naturally is at its long term. I mean, all the hoo-ha about Xi Jinping getting an unprecedented third term in office or whatever. Well, yeah, he, he's, he's seen China now, largely through, through thick and thin. He's seen China at its highest growth rate. It, most likely it will undergo an economic collapse along with the rest of us. But it will certainly care when the dice has fallen, its future post the collapse of the debt bubble. China has a reserve of gold that it buys above market value. 
to all all those minerals mined in China. And that is for when the fake fiat money, largely propelled by the, the US Treasury, completely falls falls away. And China now has a real physical good they can base a future currency off. That is the thinking we're up against. And yeah. that is why they are recruiting, taking the advantage of hiring sacks or otherwise dismembered military personnel from us. What can go wrong? Yeah, but I mean, China's on the roller coaster of the damned. Uh, their yeah, population, by their the population end of is expected to half in forty years. Yeah, it will be by the end of this century what it was fifty years ago, hmm. and it doubled in the past fifty years, so it will half over the yeah. Um, I looked up the defense budget. Theirs is over two hundred billion. Ours is about forty-five billion. I thought it was more comparable than that. But and when you consider their labor and material costs, mm. um, there's a multiplier effect on that. So, uh, yeah, effectively, I mean, they're spending, um, I don't know. I mean, where the statistics come from, if they're coming from the Chinese state themselves, they're going to be vastly underestimated. Do you think they spend more than what they announce? Oh, obviously. Interesting. Why do you say that? Well, Ch China. Uh, for all its glory, of course, it isn't known for being very open. I mean, apparently they haven't had a COVID death since, I don't know, last year, despite them being in zero COVID lockdown. Okay. So it's, um, it's I think the comparison that, that, that was clouding my mind there was the Russian comparison. How much does Russia spend? Oh, not much. I think it's not that much more. Well, again, though, um, when you consider the price of Russian energy and Russian labor, um, it's not directly comparable. But I will look it up. Um, 77 yes. billion US dollars against our 45 billion. So it's not enormous. Mm. I mean, and then you compare that to the US. I mean, the US is bigger than China, Russia, and so on combined. So, but the, yeah, the, the 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 Chinese population is collapsing. As you say, they do have, you know, they've got those investments in Africa and the minerals and all the rest of it. They'll be the dominant power for, for I think, the next 10, 12 years before their demographic foundations are going to fall in. Right now, they're half and away bullying the rest of the world, really. Africa swallowed up, Russia in their pocket, Europe in their pocket. I mean, we've all heard the stories about all these honey traps being sent into the embassies. Well, it's interesting that Joe Biden is leading the fight back at the moment. I mean, fair play, credit where credit's due. You had this CHIP Act, I think it was called recently, where they're blocking the um, import into China of US-made semiconductors or chips mm. or, or some, you know, some... One of those things that's just, you know, made in Taiwan. Yeah. And this is not an insignificant problem for China. So it, it, it's interesting to see us heading toward, you know, protectionism and trading internally more than the rest of it, which I celebrate. And if that's done by Biden or anybody else, then it's a good thing. Um, but as you say, I mean, still, there are over a billion people at the moment. So they are sort of inevitably going if only for a brief time, to become the, the leading power in the world. And I think eventually they'll be in a sort of quasi-Russian situation where their best bet is to aggravate with Taiwan, like Russia's was with Ukraine. You know, they didn't have anything going for them, really. So to territory, sort of, then you go to a medieval mindset, you know, how can mm -hmm. we acquire, acquire things?
So, I don't know if... Um, I'm sure China will one day invade Taiwan, but it will be from either a position of strength or a position of desperation. China has a reason not to invade Taiwan, and that's it may blow up its supply chain of semiconductors, which certainly its military base relies on. Or the reason they have for it is, of course, the semiconductors to control the world's market and really bully us into submission. But yeah, as I say, in the next 15 years, yeah, China's going to pull all the strings. But once its population falls in and it has to look internally and its economy grounds to a halt because it's spending so much money on pensions, which is the position we are in now in the Western world. And if you want to look to our future, just look at Japan, complete societal extinction. And uh, yeah, and that's when China will quickly lose friends and influence and GDP. Sure. Say, I think Russia are sort of China's future, in essence. They have to bully a small country just for credibility. They're, um, they're, they're Russia are undergoing demographic collapse as well, which has only been made worse by um, Putin's invasion of Ukraine. And uh, Russia has essentially what may happen to China, be completely cut off fr from the world economy. Yeah, I mean, I would hazard um, that, you know, 100,000 Russians, young Russians will be killed in the course of this war. I mean, how many have how many have been killed already, do you know? Or no, have a rough estimate? Nobody knows. Um, there, there's all kinds bad. of different figures. I mean, the, the, the casualty figure for the Russians last time I checked was somewhere around 80,000, but that includes wounded. Um, and you assume three to one wounded for every killed. Although reportedly the Russian figures are not so good as three to one because they have poor medivac systems and they can't pull mm. people out. So plausibly 40, 50,000 Russians have been killed already. And I don't know if that even includes LPR and DPR, which are the, you know, the ethnic Russians in Ukraine. So, but we won't know the facts um, for many years, I don't think, in terms of how many people have been killed. Um, but you mentioned Japan. I, I wonder, perhaps Japan is an interesting, although it's not in the news particularly. So, um, you know, not necessarily something that's occurred in the week to be reviewed, therefore going against the point of the show. However, it, <laughs> maybe that's an interesting thing to talk about as because the Japanese population is declining massively. Their birth rate is abysmally low. They have this really, they're, they're what, you know, Churchill called the Soviet Union uh, uh, an enigma wrapped in a riddle. Uh, in many ways, that's Japan. They have this ancient and rich culture, mm -hmm. which has been subsumed by hypermodernity, but yeah. still in many ways retains its soul mm. in terms of the warrior culture. You still have things like the Yakuza, which, okay, aren't an ancient phenomenon, but they are a sequel to the samurai in a sense. Um who were who were of course just bandits and not 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 heroes, and uh, and he said what what a terrific society, low crime and everything, um, and it, and the birth rate's collapsing. What do you have any a theory on why that's coming to pass? I think that the big theory is um is is economics, of course, particularly when it began sort of the U.S. occupation. It introduces voting rights democracy, baseball, and of course, liberal free market, free trade. And um, this is a phenomenon across the Western world. If you um, slaved away at your job nine, 10 hours a day, you would inevitably be rewarded. 
and production was completely in line with economic growth. It's not anymore. Hence why the Japanese are working 14 hours a day for, for pittance. And you also ha have the fact that it is an aging society and with an aging society, the price of assets do jump significantly. So we, we, we're seeing that here, particularly with, with home ownership, not just from a lack of demand. And that economic sphere is also combined with the, the work ethic of Japan. They're very proud people. They're very honourable. They have seppuku. So, you know, you screw up, you've got to stab your stomach with a sword. Mm. Th those are the, uh, the Japanese are, are very, let's say, proud, very moral, very centred. Although Japan is, is on the brink of societal collapse, it's not how we would call disintegrating. The shops aren't being looted in broad daylight. The streets are clean. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, by if your men are working all the time and, you, and women are in, the, are in the workforce on a 996 basis, as is typical in the East Asian continent, you're not going to have time or money for children. But it's not just that people are overworking, which they are. There is a, an entire class of young men who's, there's a word for them, and I don't have it in front of me, so I won't attempt is to. It, Hikikomori. Something like that. Yeah, it's probably that. And th these people are estimated to constitute, you know, double digits of the male population, mm -hmm. certainly of the young male population, who are totally financially dependent on their parents. And I think the criteria is that they don't they they don't leave their house more than once a week or once a month or something. And you know, and then you've got people who live in internet cafes under the desks, mm. and they're they're playing games all day, and then they sleep under the desk, and then they play they play games the following day. And you have this this suicide rate, that famous suicide forest that Logan Paul walked through for a YouTube video and got in trouble, or maybe it was the other Paul brother, I'm not sure, Jake Paul. Um, uh, and, th and there's a total, um, even though they've got these the, the wonderful living conditions we just described. Is it just a case of these people, okay, I I've got a flat to live in Tokyo, I've got a good job, but is, is it really worth it? Because they're in this, this sort of, this hustle grind set without very much reward. And they have all this stimulus around them. I mean, you've seen the street of Japan, there's neon sites everywhere. Because the pornography in Japan is absolutely huge as well, which has been blamed on sexual assault in public. And maybe maybe these people were just like, okay, it's not the point. Let, let me just stay in my room playing video games all day. It's also copies, uh, not copies the motives of, but the results of China's um, lying flat culture. As I say, the problems were going back to China, you know, a uh, youth unemployment rate of about 25%, impossible housing prices, a shattered job market, and zero COVID and shutting down China's export industry is not doing any favours. Well, in China, so, the, the house price situation is slightly different. They can't give the houses away. There's too many houses. Yes, but again, uh, what I've heard, you may have seen different, but prices are still extortionist was what I've heard and the Chinese you just do not really see a future so that's where you get all this idleness masquerading as rebellion you get the, the buy land the let it rot brigade I, uh, I was researching this recently for a, a blog I wrote and China 
is, according to a Telegraph, demolishing enough accommodation to house 75 million people because there's no demand for it. There's a, there's a, there's a demand side catastrophe. And mortgage lenders have reduced their rates. The figure I believe I saw on that day was to 1.7% in a desperate bid to get people to buy housing. Now, maybe if we're talking about Beijing, it's a different issue. Yeah, probably. Be- Beijing, Shanghai, you're not. <laughs> it's not open hell. Yeah. But they have, they have these entire ghost cities um, where that were built to to um to facilitate a growing population which never came but you know i I think the japan system will remain a mystery although you touched on the idea of um, pornography which leads you to sort of sex robots and all the rest of it and this is something people like mary harrington talk about this sort of future cyber world with um, you know, the sex robots and everyone's just going to be living in, you know, I don't know how much um, credit I give to that as a plausible future, but in Japan, I think there's clearly some truth to it. In Japan, I think it is just the, the flag bearer for where um, the Western world is heading in terms of hyper-individualism, this uh, make-or-die hustle culture and a population in the end left without a future and left to support an aging population in which there is no surplus for um, not, not really just themselves, but no, there's no dynamism in the economy as it looks inward just to secure, secure its pension fund, really. I think that might be a nice place to conclude. How does Wicket usually close off the week in review? Is there a catchphrase? Is there a particular... Uh, I think it just leaves it here. He, he says something along the lines of, um, and uh, I think that's enough for this week. Uh, see you next week. And of course, I, I cannot do it in his exact tones, but uh, we've at least tried. Well, you've just said it. So we've at that, least tried. That will, that, that will suffice. That, that will be the outro. Brilliant. Until next week. See ya.